what we do here is go back, 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 back. Hello and welcome to Episidio Sequentato of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. And I know what you're thinking. Why is this jabron Angelo Inglisa doing the intro instead of David Statman? And well, much like the WWE, we had to make some budget cuts to increase our revenue. And unfortunately, David's contract was just too albatross to keep on the books. But that's okay. Jake Long is still here. And Jake, we should pour one out for our boy and his future endeavors because we wish him luck with his future endeavors. All right, Johnny. No, that's a uh, yeah. That, that's a Johnny Ace. That's a Triple Ace. That's a big heel line right there. Oh, yeah. We're not a we're not we're not here to bury David. We're just here to talk about ECW One Night Stand 2005. Yeah, scheduling sucks, especially when you're an adult, especially when things are open, especially when like we there's a lot of life going along with all three of us. You're working several jobs. I got my job now, and I'm doing a whole bunch of other stuff. I got my other podcast I'm doing. David just moved. He started his wrestling career back again. So always hard to find time. So we have decided, the three of us, to go forward with this episode, ECW One Night Stand 2005. Pretty good pay-per-view. Again, I am always looking through the lens, at least these next few episodes, of is it as bad as Death of WCW? And no, this is actually pretty good compared to that. Okay. It's still some it's still but, got some of those bad ECW traits though. That's what I was gonna say. Like I, if, if you read anything about the show online, everything is like this show was was awesome. It was fantastic to see the ECW back and everything. But it's like, okay, if you watched this as a one-off attraction for ECW, sure. It's a good show. I'll give you that. But like if you watched this in like the canon of WWE at the time or, or anything like that. It's not really – I don't think it's that great. It's not – like it's, it, it's kind of – This is – it's a say, phenomenal it's, house show. I'd say it's slightly more than a house show. I'd say it's definitely more of that nostalgia trip though. I The play of the WWE superstars and the ECW wrestlers is interesting even if it amounts to mostly nothing both in storyline and on the pay-per-view itself. But, like, yeah. there's always that tease, and I think they do a good job of recreating that ECW craziness of that late 90s period. One of the things, and we could talk about this and we'll probably talk about it later, is that a lot – some of the guys that they had on there, like, I never really associate with ECW even if they worked there. Like, they had, yeah. Rey, they had Rey Mysterio. They had Benoit, Guerrero. Uh, Jericho, I don't really associate with ECW. But the ECW people do because those guys were pretty important to it. I'm sh- I- I'm sure they were. I'm not really as familiar with their roles as opposed to like with Jericho, Mysterio, Psychosis, Benoit, and Guerrero. I usually think of WCW, yeah, as opposed to ECW. I do understand they made probably appearances for them back when the Forbidden Door was open again. But well, I- I okay, so I just our, don't really think about them. Our resident historian's not here, but if I remember correctly, and, and maybe I. Maybe I'm talked about on a Reddit board one day about how dumb I am, but they were employed as just by by ECW. It just wasn't super long. Psychosis definitely was um, for a while, and like, it, I think I think whenever they were doing this, you know, they have to strike a balance here because you're only going to get so many people in 2005 that are like, yes, I'm going to buy this WWE pay per view to watch Balls Mahoney <laughs> fight. Uh, I don't know, just incredible. You know what I mean? That's not going to sell to a WWE audience. So you've got to balance the, 
here are some WWE guys that were also ECW guys at one point, regardless of you know how how much we think of them as ECW. That's true, and you know what? It was a for what's worth. It was a great nostalgia show. I think like it's hard to create that ECW environment because it's so ruckus. It's almost it's almost toxic if you look at it. Oh, it is toxic. I think it is. A little bit, but, like, then you see, like, just the appreciation they have for the guys in the ring, and I don't know. There's something, it's like, he's the, ECW is the asshole that's your asshole. Yeah, he kind of sucks, but he's ours. But, this was, I was listening to, um, so I actually listened to Bruce Pritchard talk about this show um, with Conrad on on their podcast, and they had a really good point. So, Whenever there's an awesome spot in the match, what do in a, in a hardcore match? What do people chant? Get the tables. No, they chant EC Dub. Yeah. Right? Why don't they chant the wrestlers' names? Ooh, true. So, so what you just said about the appreciation, I understand where you're getting that, and I'm not like I, I'm only disagreeing in the fact that they don't chant the wrestlers' names. They chant ECW because it's just so, so and, insane. And the context of that is like Bruce, Bruce Pritchard and Conrad were talking and they were talking about like how good Paul Heyman was at like making everybody drink the Kool-Aid, you know, mm-hmm. like love ECW regardless of what you're seeing. And from the fan I think perspective that that, or from the wrestler perspective? Yes, fans, okay. fans. And I think that that carried through. I think that carried through to the show, you know, six or no, this would have been six, six or seven years later. Yeah. I, I also think like you're kind of seeing – the better parts of that crowd today with AEW because AEW's fan base will say is a lot more passionate than the WWE one. The WWE yeah. one's a lot more smart marky, whereas like AEW fans are more inclined to look at something, say it's good, and then defend why it's good to the death. See, but I think I actually on the internet you'll find a lot of WWE people like that too that are like, oh, Dave Meltzer's. If that was in the Tokyo Dome, it would have been seven stars and stuff like that. <laughs> I do see yeah, that from Meltzer. It's always fun watching Meltzer interact with those people because they'll go on like these long tirades of just like oh, why they're idiots. I just I click through every quoted te- every quoted tweet just to find like who's the jabron that started this fight with this like wrestling journalist. <laughs> oh man, it's fantastic. And then you'll have times where like Charlotte Flair will go at him. Yeah, <laughs> it's like here's this jabron, Angelo and Glisa, and then Charlotte Flair has something to say about it, and that would just make my career. But I think on yeah, that exactly. note, I think it's time to start remembering some guys here, Jake. Uh, we have at least one or two guys to remember. Quite a few. I, I, I mean, let's remember just ECW in general, which is what the show was. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, there we go. So, it is June 12th, 2005. We are at the Hammerstein Ballroom, which is just a fantastic venue. It's the venue you always think about when you think of an ECW pay-per-view. There's not another place like it. I'd actually really like to see a televised wrestling show there again. Even Wait, hold on, hold on. Small. What did you just say? No, that, they always performed in, like, in Philadelphia in like the ECW arena. I know there's that, but like I know there's also like history clips of like them in the balconies. Like Those balconies... Are very iconic, unless the Philadelphia one also has the balconies. Uh yeah. Also, look, I I don't think they ever really ran the Hammerstein because I, so so in that uh, in that podcast, I man, this is where we're missing David. He really is. So in that podcast, they were talking about like where the decision was made to uh, 
like when the decision was made to do it in the Hammerstein versus in the OG ECW arena or whatever the other one was called uh, in Philadelphia. But I'm going to look it up. So you just keep on talking. I mean, for me, though, like I'm not sure there's another place like the Hammerstein ballroom. It's just so iconic. Like whenever you think of this event, it's so easy to remember all the cuts because you have people going in and out of the crowd. You have those balconies. You have the uh, WWE guys standing in the top row. It's just such a unique feel. And it's so hard to create that in your typical modern day sports stadiums because, again, they're very general. You have those floor seats and then you have the general like populist seats. It's not the same. I, I think there's something there's some charm in how tightly packed this room is. Attendance is only 2,500 people, but they were a hot 2,500. Yeah. Uh, so it actually was used, but it was used in late era ECW. That's what it was. Um, some of their some of their 2000 and 2001 pay-per-views were held there. So that's um, that's probably where you saw stuff from. Absolutely. Um, Joey Styles comes out. Uh, he gets a huge pop. Just, again, a great theme. He st- hits him with the oh, my God, and everyone loses their mind for it. You kind of <laughs> go into the intro of the show. You have both, like, the general, like, early 90s theme, which is just kind of like you hear Paul Heyman, like, whisper extreme championship wrestling in the background. And then you get into, like, the modern ECW theme, which is a lot louder, a lot more rock. And then I do believe later in the show you get the bodies hit the floor theme, too. It's just like ECW themes, man, were just inc- – they didn't miss. They were perfect for that program. But you, but also I think <laughs> – like, I think about, you know, WWE trying to come up with, all right, what's going to be our theme song for Judgment Day? Like, <laughs> like, like, what do you come up with? It's ECW. It's like, hey – Let's just get some rock and heavy metal. You know what I mean, dude? Rock and that's heavy, all you need. That's all you need for any wrestling show. Like a lot of those, like er, like mid two thousand, like uh, I guess the theme songs for any pay per view. I would always get them on uh, Apple Music like that week. <laughs> I'd spend the ninety nine cents on the song and be added to my mm-hmm. playlist, and that's how I found a lot of the songs, like Saliva, uh, Who Shine Down, like those guys. Oh, uh, fun uh, fact. Yes, this is. Speaking of saliva, I'm going to be seeing saliva. So we're recording this on Wednesday. That's I'll be week, seeing right? saliva this Saturday. And if they don't sing uh, I Walk Alone, I am rioting. I am rioting like Batista just <laughs> lost the title. I'm still debating similar thing if I'm going to the AEW uh, Rampage event this Friday. Are, are you going? I'm thinking about because there's still tickets available and they're only 25 bucks. I feel Yo, like do it. Going, going to the first one is huge. Anyway. Let's go back to uh, One Night Stand, sponsored by Destroy All Humans. Fantastic video game. <laughs> Wait, was it really? Yes. It, like, if you oh, my God, it's sponsored yes. by Destroy All Humans. I love that series. <laughs> but oh, that is awesome. First match of the night is Lance Storm versus Tr- Chris Jericho. Personally, I feel very spoiled getting to, you know, having this one lead off the show because both these guys are just incredible in the ring. I'm going to do my best to describe these matches. I, <laughs> I will be fully honest. David does a great job of it. He makes it seem so easy, but we shall see. They start off with some very nice chain wrestling. You get to a huge drop pick by Jericho out of the corner. Styles says something uh, about the having mats on the side. They have to have the mats because the New York Sports Commission said so, which is I thought was a really kind of funny little line saying, <laughs> hey, why we're being a little bit more safe as opposed to our early days. There's a back and forth where Lance hits a dropkick of his own. There's a huge delay suplex by Lance Storm where he holds Jericho up. And it's very incredible to see because both those guys, it's not like he's a giant like Braun Strowman hitting that move. He's, you know, 
he's like six foot. He's still a big dude, but he's not big in terms of wrestling. So he, seeing a delay suplex by him, pretty cool. Then he, uh, after that, he jumps to the top rope, no hands, jumps backwards and eats a dropkick to the back of the neck butt from Jericho. He goes for the neutralizer, which is counter, and then he hits a super kick. Uh, then there is a leaping elbow uh, from the ma- which is kind of cool because it's a similar kind of like a backwards juice effect. Yes, uh, I have the same hit thing. On, uh, hit on Juvie last week uh, from Jericho onto Lance Storm. Afterwards, there's a lion salt. Lance gets the knees up. Jericho counters with the walls of Jericho, and then just incredible and his brother interfere. There's a kendo shot to Jericho. One, two, three. Lance Storm picks up the victory following the interference from the Credibles. The Impact players are in the building tonight. The impact players. Uh, I, I I didn't really know how to process this. Like, I don't know what my takeaway should be from this. So maybe you can help. Jericho hits that elbow from the top rope 16 years ago, and it's kind of a big deal. And then he does that, you know, 16 years later, and it's still a huge deal. So, like, what, like, should I be, oh, man, Jericho has come a long way? Or, like, I don't know. The time is a flat circle because he reinvent. Like that's not a move that he hit. Like if you think of his WWE run, that's not a move you really ever really saw from. It's not a move you see. Period. And then you kind of he creates the Judas effect as he gets older. Can't do the high flippy stuff anymore. And you know it's kind of funny that this is a move that he hit 16 years ago and just a time frame too because he literally hit it last week. It's just so crazy that Jericho is again. He's he's a pioneer. I think it's the best way to say I, he's a pioneer. Yeah, absolutely. I, I still say Jericho, when, when things are all said and done, if he if he takes five to seven years after giving up in the ring and just works backstage, does that kind of thing, he will go down as a top five all-time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the guy... Just, just what, top five wrestling person. What hasn't he done? Like, that's the great question. What hasn't he done? Like, internationally, in the wide world of wrestling, like all the different promotions, there's not really... Did he have an impact run? Uh, no, no, I don't think he ever ran impact, which is, but like, I mean, it's not going to disqualify no. him. <laughs> no, uh, but well, what, 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 yeah. Like you said, what hasn't he done? Like he's, he's working for the, for AEW. He built these building this brand, the first champion in their history. I mean, you look back to his debut in WWF at the time and it was just a thunderous debut. He's over then he's over now. People are singing his theme song when he comes down to the ring in 2021. I'd argue that Painmaker Chris Jericho is the best-looking Jericho since Lionheart Chris Jericho, the one that we see on this show. Like, he, yeah. he just, like, he embodies what a professional wrestler is. Like, he's kind of got that old-school kind of showy look. He's got the poofy hair. And this is 2005. This isn't the 80s. And He, then, actually, like, he actually wasn't Lionheart at this point. That was his ECW nickname. And they just let, like, he just used it for this show. The more you know. He was... I forget what he was at this point in WWE. But again, I think it's a great look. And then you get to Painmaker where he's pretty much like just a, like a washed up dad rock star. And he's still just <laughs> doing some awesome shit. Uh, Lance, you, uh, Did you ever see him whenever he first showed up in, in uh, New Japan, I like in not. 2017? I my New Japan watching. Oh, man. Like, I don't – that was a huge – I didn't watch New Japan at all at the time. I was barely watching WWE with you and David. But that was so big that I heard about it, like from people that weren't dating. They were like, yo, did you hear Jericho? I did not hear about that. I I think that was like right when I was getting back into it. But yeah, I mean, Jericho's incredible. And then that's not to take away from Lance Storm, 
who is just always smooth as hell in the ring. When he went for that neutralizer, the Lance Storm and Cesaro comparison just really stood out for me as like two guys who are insanely gifted in the ring, even if the charisma outside of it isn't perfect. Like I never have been super wowed by a Cesaro promo, but he's a guy that I would like to see pushed because he has the charisma in the ring, that which is what matters. Like his in-ring yeah. charisma is off the charts. Same thing with Lance Storm. Like, do those guys have great mic skills? No. But the way they can wrestle a match and tell a story in a match, even if it's just like a one-off here with Jericho, it's phenomenal. It's great. Like, I, I, you, those two guys are like consummate professional wrestlers. They're guys that like anyone would want to work with in the ring. And I just love seeing Lance Storm in the ring and getting to see him versus Jericho again. I just feel so spoiled. Do you do you follow Lance Storm on Twitter? Yes, I do. Fantastic follow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because because you sent us that one not too long ago. I, I I love how he like he kind of pulls the curtain back now, like on on wrestling in the ring, and like he'll post like some notes on matches and stuff, and like think they should have sold more here, and think they could have think they rushed this spot or whatever. I, I really like that. But he does it in a way that's not like, hey, this is still all fake. Like kind of like what we talked about with mm-hmm. the uh, Hogan and Vince Russo promo. He's not pulling yeah. back the curtain and deg- making a mockery of it. He's pulling back the curtain so like you can kind of have a better understanding Appreciate it. of yep. what you're watching. Lance Storm is a big friend of the business, you know? Absolutely. All right, moving on. We get a little backstage part. There's a few of these sprinkled in with uh, Pitbull Gary Wolf, who I thought was funny that they had him do the lead-in for the In Memoriam, dressed up like in his ring gear. Yeah. But, you know, that, that that's an ECW thing. Uh, some of the highlights, uh, they show Rocco Rock, Terry Gordy, Mike Lockwood, who we all know as Crash Holly. Had to do some research to make sure I got that right. <laughs> yeah, that is Crash Holly. Uh, original Sheik, Mike Lozanski, Anthony Durante, Big Dick Dudley, and Chris Candido. Obviously, Candido being the biggest Ooh, name. R.I.P. Candido's name was chanted several times throughout the pay-per-view. And, like, again, I feel like these moments, and there's a few more of them, are really great. Because it's not just now a pay-per-view. You're kind of getting a little bit of a history lesson about ECW, which is adds to the person who maybe buys it or is watching with their friends that doesn't really know a lot about the company. Yep. Uh, and what two wrestlers um, that had a match on this show were both trained by the original Sheik? I know Sabu because, like, Sabu's his nephew. Ah, shoot. Did the other one wrestle? Like he's not just a running uh, guy. Was he on the car? They actually, they actually wrestled each other. It was Jericho and Lance Storm. Okay, it was Jericho and Lance Storm. Yeah, they were. They, they were. I mean, there were probably more guys on here, but they were the two that had a match together. They were both trained by the original Sheik. Interesting. Fun fact for you. There you go. Moving Some on. This is this is I think the first match we've had that's a duplicate match. It's not singles. So this is a three way dance yeah. between Super Crazy, Little Guido, and Tajiri, which we did have on our first ECW event. Uh, back, all the way back episode three. And again, with these matches, they get a little bit crazy. First of all, just let me start off right off the bat. No sleep till Brooklyn for the FBI <laughs> entrance. Like, man, I freaking love the FBI gimmick. Again, I will always mark out. For I wonder why, gimmick. Angela. I wonder <laughs> why. Is there any particular reason that would make uh, no, you not a really. mark? Not really. <laughs> Other than the fact that you literally belong in them. I literally do. 
But anyway, this this match starts off with a tilt a whirl back breaker by uh, Super Crazy on Tajiri, and then followed up by a standing moonsault on Guido. Crazy runs wild for a bit, uh, then gets hit by a Sicilian slice by Guido. Crazy and uh, little Guido go out into the crowd with Super Crazy doing maybe what I thought was a spot of the night. Going up into the balcony and then doing a moonsault onto the entire <laughs> legion of FBI cronies that follow Lil Guido out to the ring. They get back in the ring and then Tajiri puts Super Crazy in the tarantula. Then there's some chicanery that happens that leads to Mikey Whipwreck who has come out on behalf of Tajiri. Hitting a stunner from the top rope onto Guido with Tajiri getting the pin. So now it is down to Super Crazy and Tajiri. Super Crazy goes for the Moonsault combo. Mikey Whipwreck interferes, but after that, Super Crazy regains control, hits the final Moonsault for the pinfall. Super Crazy walks out of the three-way dance with the W. Angelo, are you offended by the FBI? <laughs> Hell no, man. Like, I think that and it's something that's hard to balance, especially in today's terms. It's like, you want to balance the pride that you have and where you come from and what your heritage is without the same time degrading everyone else's or degrading someone else's. And yeah. it's just so weird because like one person's pride in their country could be like, Oh, you, that just means you hate blah, blah, blah. Cause there's that. like, again, if you look at like European soccer, European soccer, you have a lot of moments of racism against the black soccer players. And I will be honest. Most of the news that comes out with the, those stories comes from Italy. Like, yeah, so, a lot of it does. So it's no one's perfect, but you can still have pride in where you're from without being ignorant of what other people believe in. Like you can be like, hey, I'm super Italian. I'm proud of where I come from. But hey, you're German. You're cool. You're like you got a neat culture too. Uh, again, you're from whether you're from Ghana, whether you're from Mexico, whether you're from Canada, like everyone can have pride in where they come from. The point is like we're all here together. You got to kind of understand that. So what you're saying is that we need an Imperium FBI crossover. Imperium, FBI, let's throw League of Nations in there for good measure. Yeah, yeah. League of Nations and then what was the uh, – oh, my gosh. What was the more – no, the more recent – no, 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 no. The more recent one. Uh, With who? Who's in it? Do you remember who's in oh it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like Rusev and, and – uh, Yeah, League of oh, Nations. Oh, man. Rusev. Oh, no, Del- yeah, yeah. So Rusev, Del Rio, Barrett, uh, Sheamus. Yeah, no, I'm talking. Okay, then I thought you were talking. What was the Rocks one that he was in? That was the Nation oh, God. Domination. Come on, man. Oh man, I am such. I am. I'm bad at wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah. The Nation. They're the Nation of Domination in every good measure too. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, and, and it's kind of funny too because in in this match you have Tajiri who's got the Japanese background, super crazy, who comes from Lucha Libre in Mexico, Lil Guido who's just a, a Brooklyn Italian. Like they all, they all fill their niches, and like they, they're paying like homage to where they have come from. But it doesn't feel like in bad taste. It's not Akira Tozawa being a ninja. Oh God! So I don't know. Uh, but, but these again, when we saw these three last time, it was a fantastic match. We see these three again. It's only a six-minute match, but again, it's fun. I thought I thought it was a step below the last one. Personally, um, I thought the last one just had a little bit more meat to it. But you know, you get the cool moonsault spot. You get the, you mean the trench was always cool. It was fine. I, I don't, again, I don't think that this pay per view was ever going to be about work rate. No. It was just never going to be that. ECW was definitely not about that. Super crazy, no. though, it, it is, it should be known, was super over, too. Like he came out, came out last, and everyone's going nuts for him, and he's doing all the big spots. It's amazing that he never got any kind of push in the WWE, just none at all. 
Like I know he got, oh. he got he got cruiserweight run. I know they were in the tag team title scene, but never really got any kind of time whatsoever. Probably just his look, honestly. I don't. I I would assume, you know. Probably Vince likes him bigger. Yep. After this match, there's another history lesson about ECW, mostly talking about like the bigger names like Rob Van Dam, uh, Sabu, guys like Lance Storm, Just Incredible, Tommy Dreamer, Raven. See a lot of those guys. Leads into the next match, which is Psychosis taking on Rey Mysterio. This is Unmasked Psychosis. This is Remasked Rey Mysterio. And then, Jake, Rey's hip-hop theme just takes it back. Yeah, absolutely. Who's that jumping out the sky? sky R-E-Y Mysterio. <laughs> just, again, that's, I'm pretty sure that was a theme when he won the World Heavyweight Championship. So whenever I hear that, it just takes me back to 2006. Yeah. Whenever I saw him live a couple years ago, he was doing the uh, – it was, like, the, the newer theme. Mm-hmm. But he would, like, run to the side and, like, make stuff blow up. And whenever he did that, like, like when I was going to the show, I was like, one of the things I'm super excited to see is Rey Mysterio's entrance. And then he did the cool thing, and it was <laughs> awesome. I also say this. I don't like, like, uh, Mysterio's ring gear now as opposed to what he's wearing here. Like, I like the baggy pants and the more simple mask. Like, he yeah. always had, like, the different colored masks, but they're all kind of the same. Nowadays, he's very, like, fashion forward. And they're yeah. always, I don't know. The singlet that Everything is, is themed now. Yeah. But anyway, going back to the match, there's some early arm wrenching and flipping between both of them. Mysterio leaps to Psychosis' shoulders early on and tries to get a roll up. Psychosis really kind of plays the power role here against Mysterio. Not, Psychosis is, like, visibly bigger than Mysterio, which is kind of funny to see. But he doesn't really do any high-flying moves. Psychosis kind of keeps it two feet on the ground, safe and sound, kind of throughout the entire match. Uh, there's a moonsault press by Mysterio, then a huge guillotine leg drop on the outside from Psychosis under the guardrail, which was an insane spot. He misses. Uh, Psychosis then misses a corner spear, posts himself, and then tumbles out into the crowd. Mysterio then does a senton out into the crowd to hit him. They get back into the ring. Ray hits a 619, West Coast pop, pin. And I don't know about you, Psychosis did not look good in this match. No, there was there was something a little bit off this whole time, and like it just never clicked. I, I can't help but think, and I'm sure David would know if he was here. We'll just have a drink every time you say, we we say that. You'll, you'll have a <laughs> oh, good time. I'd be I, I'd be gone. But I I think there's like he injured himself somewhere because again when we see Psychosis. In some of those WCW matches that we've had, or like earlier 2000 matches that he's asked, he's usually a little bit more of a high flyer. I was surprised at how much he incorporated the power game. I didn't think he did a bad job of doing it for someone that's not accustomed to working power. But it's also like, I came here to see you guys do flips, and you're not doing flips. Uh, I mean, Psychosis is kind of always aspect, but he could always do, do PPS if he had to. But yeah, this was. Like, whenever you tuned into this, you were like, all right, I'm, I want to see some serious Lucha Libre shit right now. It just never really turned into that reason. Um, I thought that... I thought overall this was probably the worst match on the card, all I, things considered. I think I would agree with you. There's another match that I would probably put in that category for a different reason. And we'll get to that later. But I do think that this is like one of the two matches on the card that were was really not that good. Following this match, this is kind of where the overarching WWE story comes in. 
and you start. Oh, this to is see, good. Yeah, this is good shit. This is. Some, I mean, it leads <laughs> to some great shit. But yeah, so you're the first people that come out are Team SmackDown, and everyone except for JBL is wearing this really cheesy blue SmackDown polo, which admittedly I would totally wear to work. Oh yeah, I would too. Just for the memes, honestly. Absolutely, just for the memes. It's because it's just so corporate and funny. But yeah, they come. They come out. It's also kind of funny too. The angles kind of being used as the face of SmackDown when he gets drafted to ECW less than a year later. So again, Ray's currently out in the ring. JBL then says a great, fantastic JBL line, which you're not sure how much he's in character, how much is how much he really thinks. I'm going to credit it to him being mostly in character, and he says. I got a ticket, you little Mexican. Wait, when did he say that? He he says that like so he doesn't have a mic yet, but he's getting, like they're doing the ticket thing. They're showing off the ticket. He's kind of waving the ticket around, and then he like looks into the ring and sees Ray and says, "I got a ticket, you little Mexican." Oh God! See, I don't think that's that in character. I think I think there's a pretty good chance that was at least a little bit like uh, like uh, we'll get to this at the end. But JBL does some very sketchy things in this during this show. And we'll talk about that later. So I don't know. I don't know. Again, there's some background stories about JBL that paint him in a bad light. Again, there's not even at the end of the show. There's not even a background story. It's like a it's like a proven story that happens. Oh, boy. I can't wait to hear. Yeah, I'll get to it. But again, a part of the charm of JBL acting like a heel is that he was such a believable heel. And that's true. That's true. You always want to see him get his comeuppance. And he frequently did. (laughs) Right. Oh god. After this there's some more ECW history including the origins of Sabu, which again the guy is just absolutely insane. And then Joel Gertner comes out, our favorite guy, Joel Gertner, who just kind of <laughs> makes me squirm. He gets yeah. he gets mic checked by the SmackDown uh, cronies and there are some more chants directed to them. Some of the chants include uh you suck dick on repeat. <laughs> And then, uh, fuck you, SmackDown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, listen, we, you can say a lot of things about, uh, like, about how great these crowds are. You can't call them smart. <laughs> no. <laughs> or um, original. Actu- actually, after a You Suck Dick chant, I believe it was Kurt Angle, then says this back to the crowd. Quote, your mama taught me how. Taught me how, yes. <laughs> Which, on one hand, very clever. On the other hand, you're kind of burning yourself there. You're kind of yeah. like agreeing with them. But anyway, it's kind of funny. JBL then mocks ECW with actually kind of like a really good pro, uh, heel promo. Angle is then suddenly shirtless. And then out comes RVD. You get the RVD music. He comes out. Actually gives a decent promo for RVD where he alludes to like where in WWE he just says, yeah, whatever. He's got people writing him script. And he talks about shooting, which we've talked about. Is it kind of like one of those things you don't really want to do on a wrestling pay-per-view, but you know, for RVD, I think we can excuse it. Bill Alfonso's whistle makes a comeback. Luckily he's not there long, but the, he talks about how, again, there's not this scripting that it's for the fans that he wants to put this show on. Cause he, it's something that he really wants to express himself with. And it kind of fits right in with what AEW has been doing for the past year. Like you could take this promo out now in 2005, Put it today with some WWE guy who has just gotten cut, like Aleister Black or Malachi Black, and it fits because it, it, it's like we've seen 16 years of this and we keep thinking, oh, WWE is going to change. WWE is going to get with the times. And they never do. 
just as you like as you say that you can just be painting your clown makeup on <laughs> wwe will change one of these days we've been saying that since like 2012 absolutely i will say this though when it comes to bill alfonso's whistle and bill alfonso's voice because he sounds exactly like he looks uh yeah <laughs> I'd, I'd much rather listen to his whistle oh yeah absolutely he was at least at least the whistle was bearable in this show it was it wasn't too much after RVD's done cutting this promo, Rhino comes out of nowhere, gores him, lays a beat down, attacks RVD and his surgically repaired knee, which is why RVD is not appearing on the show. He got really emotional about that. Lights which go how, out. How hard? How hard do you think that was for him? Oh, it had to be terrible because the guy, again, at the end of the match that we're about to discuss, he still tries to do something and yeah. you can tell he's not there. So the fact no, that he's – He wants to be, man. Like, Rhino does the, like, stops on his knee anyway, which, you know, as someone that got his ACL repaired, probably not what you want to be doing with it after surgery, but, you know, it's RVD's life. He can do what he wants. But the lights go out, and the lights come back on, and it's Sabu. The hard, one of the hardcore icons of this time, the suicidal, genocidal, homicidal Sabu taking on Rhino. And match starts off. I mean, first of all, every time we see Rhino, even today, he's built like a fridge. The dude is just as wide as he is tall, but it's all like almost all muscle. A little bit of a gun he's, nowadays, but I, I think a fridge is being generous to him. He's built like a like an ice chest. <laughs> ice chest. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you build black boxes out of Rhino, it's probably just as good. <laughs> yeah. There are some chants of you got fired to Rhino. So, I mean, the fans, obviously, they're treating him like the heel he is after attacking RVD. Uh, Sabu, heavily bandaged. Like, the guy comes out with a bunch of bandages around his neck. But he does a springboard to the outside. He hits a super hurricanrana from the top rope. Rhino then hits an elevated cutter onto a steel chair, followed up by a gore and a pile driver on Sabu. Does not get the fall. RVD comes in to make a save. Hits Rhino with a chair shot. Does a shotgun dropkick in the corner that the Joey Styles called a uh, surfboard dropkick or skateboard dropkick. One of the two. And then Sabu hits a guillotine leg drop with a chair through a table with the assist from RVD and Bill Alfonso for the pin. And, you know, not again, not a great match, but Sabu matches really never are. They're always about the insane stuff Sabu is going to do. And having Rhino out there kind of works too, because Sabu not the biggest guy, so having a big guy to do those big, uh, big splashy moves too, kind of really works. Yeah, Sabu, Sabu is you know, he's Sabu. Like, what else do you need? You don't need him to go out and and work like Kenny Omega. He just goes out and is insane. Yeah. he's like a Sandman in the main event. He's just, um, he's just gonna jump around with a chair and yeah. put himself through. You know, you never know what. No, and it's got to be awesome. I mean, it, it's Sabu. Uh, did you know that he actually had just wrestled like the night before or the night before that on a uh, – ah, shoot. I think it was like Shane Douglas had put together a show. Hmm. Um, so whenever Shane – that's why – I believe that's who it was, Shane Douglas. Um, Shane Douglas had put together an ECW reunion show. Again, this is credit to um, something to wrestle with. So uh, some of these guys – had actually wrestled on that show uh, and then came to this. Who's like the biggest guy missing from this show as far as ECW goes? Mm. You, you should know this answer. I guess it is. You like, own, it, I own a shirt. 
You own his merchandise. I I now do too. Hmm. You you got me this shirt. Oh, it's Terry Funk. Yeah, Terry Funk's not on this show, right? Uh, because he was at the Shane Douglas show and just thought that that was a more appropriate show, I guess. I um, mean, I, I think that's probably the right call too, because just especially where Terry Funk is in his career. Yeah. At that point, yeah. like he is now even older than we saw him in 2000, and I'm sure if he had been on this show, it wouldn't have made for good television. Yeah. But anyway, after that, we have Al Snow and Head, who I who I have now started to enjoy every time that they come on my screen. More of a history lesson about ECW. They show some of the more insane spots over the years, including throwing all the chairs into the ring and at the following the public enemy win where they get every fan in the attendance into the ring and then the ring collapses. And they also show uh, Sabu and Taz doing a stare down back when Taz looked like he was going to murder you. Kind of still looks like he's going to murder you. Yeah. But uh, now he looks more like an uncle that's going to murder you instead of like <laughs> the the star child, the prodigy. Anyway, moving on. Raw is here now too with Eric Bischoff, Edge, William Regal, Snitsky. A lot less star power on the Raw side. Like there's no John Cena showing up to this. It's Edge and a bunch of lackeys, more or less. Next match, Chris Benoit taking on Eddie Guerrero. This is a match that you should feel spoiled when you see it on the card, and then you watch it, and it's really not that good. Nah, it's not. It hurts. It's very slow. And it, it, we'll start with the entrances. We had Benoit on, I think, it was for a 2006 pay-per-view, and you kind of see that cold stare that's like the thousand-yard stare where he doesn't really have yeah. it. He's not all there. He's not. He, he doesn't have it this time. Like He comes out, he looks actually pretty good. But Eddie has it in spades. Yes, he does. From the from the moment he walks out of the curtain. Eddie looks lost. And I kept waiting for him to like kind of snap out of it in character. And he never really does. And you could say it's because he's kind of working heel in this match, but also it feels more than just working heel. Yeah, it's I think it was almost that like I don't know if he didn't want to be there or if he felt that the whole thing was like in bad taste, I don't know what it was, but he he didn't want to be well, there. It's the copious amounts of steroids and CTE going through his system, but yeah, but he was, but like 2005, Eddie wasn't like a space cadet, you know. Mm-hmm. I, he it, was like he was there. It's weird, like because again, yeah. the history of both these guys, and we have seen it with Benoit. Yeah, like again, that look is very similar to what Benoit had in his match with MVP a couple episodes ago, and it's just harrowing to think about where they end up in a year. Yep. Anyway, it's a slow early match. Little, uh, crowd's kind of more so interested in chanting at Edge some uh, unscrupulous things that I will not repeat on the podcast. Uh, Styles sells us be- like Styles does a good job selling this match. It's like you know it's Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero. This is like again should be a classic. Ultimately, it doesn't end up going that way. There are some dueling Benoit and Eddie chants. But again, throughout this entire match, it seems like the crowd is more interested in bad-mouthing WWE than they are to watch these two guys wrestle. Which yeah. Is, which, you know, it's not like they're missing a whole bunch. Eddie hits a huge superplex to get the crowd's attention after like they kind of fade out. Then he misses a, follows all that up with missing a frog splash. Benoit hits a Northern Lights suplex for a two count. After that, doesn't get the pinfall. He hits a superplex and then three Germans on Eddie. Big flying headbutt by Benoit. And then ultimately this match kind of goes back. 
Benoit puts Eddie in the crossface. Eddie really doesn't sell it that hard. He's just kind of there in the crossface and eventually taps out. I, I really don't like when people don't sell a submission. Uh, yeah. It's, it's frustrating. Like, I get, like, maybe not selling is a form of selling a submission because you're just kind of, like, in too much pain to really think about doing anything else. But part of the role is, like, you kind of have to make it look like it's – like, there are ways to yeah. sell it. They're in pain. Like, I think of Batista when he's in the Yes Lock at WrestleMania versus Daniel yeah. Bryan and Orin, where he's not really doing a lot in the ring, but he's selling like he's trying to get out or like his face does a better job of expressing the pain. And because he's a smaller guy, Daniel Bryan's a smaller guy, putting a submission on a bigger guy, it kind of sells itself. Yeah. But when you're equal size like Benoit and Guerrero are, not selling the submission kind of makes it feel a lot less luster. And this is yeah. like, this is the second longest match on the card. Yeah, I, they definitely gave them the time to let them go work like a really good match. But yeah, this just wasn't there. Um, the Eddie's Eddie's faraway look. I mean, Benoit tries. You know, mm-hmm. he sells his ass off, and he he uh, he. Th- they work stiffly, which is both good and bad because you know we we know how both of their stories turn out. Um, I again watching a Benoit match nowadays. You see and hear all of these things, and I just, mm, I hated this. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was Joey Styles or Mick Foley, but he called the headbutt the suicide headbutt. Ooh, I did not catch that. Yeah, and then, um, did somebody get in the ring after the match? Did someone? I don't think, I don't think anyone did. Because it, the, next, one, at, the next segment is Joel Gertner begging for a job. At one point, Mick or somebody said the phrase like Benoit is going to kill him or something. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, I do remember that. I don't remember where I don't, the show I don't that know what happens, the context. No, but I, I just have it on here. I just have it on my notes as suicide headbutt and Benoit is going to kill him. I don't know who he was talking about, but man, that is just bad. Again, horrible. Hearing that. Very horrible. Yeah. And I, again, Benoit, I want to say it had done, he does two in this match, and then there's a third at the end. I was like, I don't want to see this. Because he sells the headbutt too, but I'm also not sure how much he's selling and how much it's like, ow, that really hurt because I'm <laughs> yeah, exactly. my head land on someone's body while my body hits the mat, which is jacking up my neck. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, there's um, – and back back to what you're saying about the selling of the, um, of the submission. Yeah, that to me right there. Like Eddie – Eddie has always been a great baby face because of his ability to sell. Like he can make you believe everything hurts. He, he makes you believe that like underdog tale of like, I'm fighting through the pain right now. Then he was trying to make you think he's in pain. He's just like, ah, I don't really care. That's frustrating too. Cause it's not like he's incapable of it. Uh, no, David, not at all. We know he's not. David had mentioned the promo he had against Lesnar where he says, I'm addicted to winning. And I went to watch that. Oh, yeah. Have you not seen that before? No, I have not. And like, holy, like, you want to talk about a promo that is based in reality that, like, that is just so good. And it's why you need to let, like, your talent have their inputs and make sure they get included because their character is something that they connect with. And when they connect with something, it becomes immediately more believable as opposed to corny. And the addicted to winning and just like, what the championship means to him during that promo. I mean, that's some real true emotion right there. Absolutely. And seeing him in this match, there's just, you could tell that there's no emotion there for one reason or another. 
After, after that, Joel Gertner begs Eric Bischoff for a job like the shill he is, and Eric Bischoff kind of runs him down. Which, you know, as someone that's not really a big Joel Gertner guy, <laughs> nice to see. Also, Gertner yeah. wearing this awful snakeskin jacket. Awful looking. Just again, sleaze incarnate. Next match, this is our penultimate match. This is Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka. We saw these two guys also on our last ECW show. Actually, no, our first ECW show. And they put on an absolute banger after knocking out Taz real early in a three-way dance. This match, not so much. I mean, it's still solid, but it's not, like, great or anything. Awesome looks like a sitcom dad. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good uh, analogy. Yeah, and then also throughout the match, Joey Styles is comparing Mike Awesome to Judas for being a sellout, signing a contract with WCW. They do mention the 70s guy... Mike Awesome, like how WCW kind of misused him. Styles just saying he sold out. He took a paycheck. I hope he dies. Like he says some pretty nasty things about Mike Awesome throughout this match. Uh, early on in the match, Mike Awesome leads to the also outside with Styles wishing death on him, saying, I wish I he jumped and killed himself, more or less. Which, you know, not the best look for you, Styles. He then hits an Awesome Bomb on the apron to a propped up table that looked really rough. Tanaka kicked out of it. And then there's an awesome splash that he also kicked out of. Mike Awesome hits a second awesome bomb. Tanaka then no-sells uh, no some chair shots, three of them to the head. Hits a blockbuster, tornado DDT on the chair, chair-on-chair chair shot uh, from the top rope, and a kick out. Awesome then hits a spear, hits another chair shot from the top rope. Str- and then he struggles setting up a table. The table looked like it broke, and then you yeah. have the fans kind of give him shit for it. Tanaka then hits another DDT through the table. And then the match kind of ends here with a super awesome bomb on the broken table, followed by another awesome bomb. So four awesome bombs in this match. Just awesome bomb after awesome bomb. A fourth one through the table from the ring to the apron, and then followed up by an awesome splash onto the floor. Ref counts the pin on the floor. Mike Awesome wins. And I was afraid one of them was going to die the entire match. I I thought on that finals... uh uh, awesome bomb through the broken table. I was like, I can just see him getting impaled on like the oh, broken man. piece of it. I yeah. I cringe so hard when they did that. And it's amazing that that part of the table did not hit anybody. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'll i be honest. I thought this was match of the night. I'm just going to say it. Really? I, I did not like this match at all. Oh, see, I loved it. I thought this was awesome. I thought it was Mike Awesome and, and Tanaka. Okay, had you ever seen a previous Mike Awesome or T- and Tanaka match? The only one I saw was Taz, Awesome, and Tanaka at uh, – it wasn't One Night Stand. It was barely the three, The three-way dance? Yeah. yeah. And that no, match it, was incredible. That was a great match. Yeah. If, if you've ever seen like a Mike Awesome-Tanaka match like one-on-one, this was like a playing of the hits, right? So like – if you if you had never seen one, I think it still could have been good, but it would have been like, oh, okay, like they just kind of did some spots, but like they kind of played their hits from previous matches and let that do the talking, which I really liked. Um, yeah, I just I, I thought that the spot fest aspect of this was great because like neither of those guys got here on their personality. And you're right. You know what I mean? I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to for a match that just has the highlights of past matches between the two. My biggest issue was that everything Mike Awesome did looked like it was going to kill Tanaka. And I don't mean killed <laughs> as in it was a big move. I mean killed as in everything looked sloppy. 
Like, yeah, but Tanaka or Mike Awesome. I like, like, I know David's a big Mike Awesome guy, but I've kind of always thought that about Mike Awesome. So I, I, I just thought, thought it was kind of par for the course. I thought he looked cleaner in that first match, and I feel like every time I've seen him since, it looks like he's about to kill somebody. Like, it looks well, not safe. I mean, not to like disparage the dead, but the guy died like a year later. I, so yeah. like, like he may not have been in great health. I mean, he didn't look great, honestly. If you go back and look at him, he didn't look to be like, you know, a marathon runner at this no. point in his life. He but, was very much here because of how great he was, you know, five, six years ago. But like Tanaka, there's nothing, at no point that I was watching this match that I think Tanaka was going to hurt awesome. But Tanaka being a great worker does make Awesome look good, but Awesome also has a lot of spots where he doesn't have control of Tanaka. Like the one yeah. spot, the one spot through the table where Tanaka goes through neck first, yeah, is brutal to watch. And then you watch the Awesome splash at the end of the match where his leg gets caught on the top rope and he falls head first onto Tanaka. Like, yeah, that's a broken neck waiting to happen. And that's very true. While I, while I enjoy hardcore matches, while I enjoy some of the spot fest, I like to see it when it's done properly, and this was not done properly. This was more so very sloppy, and I just could not get into the match because, Grant, I know no one got hurt, but it just was like, I like it when it looks good, and it did not look good. Yeah, that's true. He then also awesome bombs the ref, which was kind of funny. I love a good awesome bomb. <laughs> All right, following that up, we got Paul Heyman coming out for what I thought was the spot of the night. Like I for nothing else. Like the matches they were fine. They were not they like they were good. There was nostalgia. But Paul Heyman had the segment of the night. Let me tell you. Oh, oh man, I've got thoughts. Heyman comes out with some real genuine emotion. The crowd is going nuts for Paul Heyman. He's, he's, he cuts a promo thanking the fans and he runs down Eric Bischoff. He runs down Edge talking about someone's wife and Matt Hardy and doing Matt Hardy wrong. You got two words for you, Matt freaking Hardy. And then he gets to JBL. <laughs> two I got I got two words for you. Matt freaking Hardy. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets to JBL for one of the best lines ever uttered. And you know what, Jake? I will give you the honor of saying it. The only reason you were WWE champion for a year is because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays. And the crowd <laughs> loses their mind. JBL looks oh, like he was shot. He just looks stunned in disbelief. So 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 JBL is clearly trying to like fake sell the like he's trying to be like, oh, like that's a good one. But like if you look at his eyes, you can see like, oh, he didn't like that one. You can see, oh fuck, he got me. <laughs> <laughs> you also have Kurt Angle in the background, still shirtless, which is just hysterical because he he's one of the guys that walks out in the uh, polo and then he just takes it off halfway through because, again, all the Jabones are wearing the polo. But, yes, I was dying at Paul Heyman. It was hysterical. It was good to see him out there. Oh, so good. The thing I always wonder now is because Paul Heyman is so engrossed with WWE now, I want to know what his thoughts are on AEW. I'm just very curious because he's. I wonder like, if he's spoken about it. I'm not sure. Like I don't, I've never seen anything because a lot of WWE guys don't talk about AEW. The only guys you really ever hear talk about it are Triple H or Vince in some kind of interview. Uh, Xavier Woods has mentioned it on his YouTube channel, but now because his YouTube channel currently has Tyler Breeze or formerly Tyler Breeze still on it, 
Adam Cole's also a frequent appearance on it. He might not be there much longer. The no, but I do see I do see where Paul Heyman called Ryback a schmuck <laughs> in, in June of this year. <laughs> I'm glad I saw that. No, oh, that's good. I read, he said he said I knew Ryback wouldn't be a big star. He was a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Paul Heyman has never not been Paul Heyman. The guy is just we talked you talked about like in the group chat where he ranks in terms of promos all time. And I want to put him at the tippy top. I think there are guys that kind of do do a better job than him. But think he's he's good enough to have had a very long 30-year wrestling career. 30-year hmm. wrestling career as a mouthpiece. Yep. That's how good he is. Well, and, and a booker. I mean, he's he, he's been booking a lot and stuff like that or like writing TV. So, so that's been part of it. I mean, it. that too. But like for me, I'm not going to remember him booking-wise. I'm always just going to remember him for being Paul Heyman. And Paul Heyman himself, I don't think has ever not been Paul Heyman. Like any time you see him on TV, I never not think he's being unauthentic. I think he's just always yeah, genuinely no, being absolutely. Paul Heyman. He's, he's always got that. Like it always – Paul Heyman always seems like – He's just out there being Paul Heyman. Like even now with Roman Reigns where he's not being like the mouthpiece necessarily but just providing some legitimacy to him. Yeah. Just the Just his background interactions is fantastic. And the promo he had two weeks ago with John Cena where he then mimics the theme song is just some top-notch television. Yeah. Like God yeah, bless Paul Heyman, fun. man. The guy is just an like he looks like an absolute goof, but man, that guy could sell a used car to a used car dealer. Hey, I actually I have on my notes here. Uh, I, I wasn't reading my notes; I was just going off the top of my head. But uh, there should be a uh, like you know how we have that Max Kellerman meme of uh, Equidala. <laughs> we should have had that for Matt Hardy. Like that should have been a meme. If the internet had been around, I bet you it would have been Matt freaking Hardy. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then Edge looked shocked too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was my segment of the night. If for nothing else, just hearing Paul Heyman run through everybody was fantastic. Yeah. And then he says, it's EC freaking W. Except he doesn't say freaking. No, he does not. No one really ever does. But moving on, our final match, as we have been flying right through, as you know, I can't give the great play by plays like David, but we're here. Devon Dudley, Bubba Dudley, the Dudley boys taking on ECW icons, Tommy Dreamer, and the Sandman. The Sandman, uh, an absolute all-time entrance. Just Did you want – so I I gave David a mission today. So whenever you watch this on the WWE Net, or Peacock, whatever, WWE Network, same thing. Whenever you watch it on there, you get this dubbed entrance, okay, where he comes out to this like – like you can tell that the song is trying to be Enter Sandman. It's Enter Sandman without it being Enter Sandman. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, uh, oh gosh, it's like a store brand Enter Sandman. It's Kirkland Enter Sandman. Yeah, exactly. WWE brand Enter Sandman. Like it's still pretty awesome, but <laughs> I think it's so funny. So I asked David. David is a master at finding videos of things, and I was like, David, I have to see this. Show me the original footage. And so he found a clip of it for us and I watched it and it was like, uh, like, you know how there's those images of like people floating to heaven 
and like you hear the angels singing. Yes. That was me, but it was 2,500 drunk people singing Enter Sandman while a crazy man breaks a beer can over his forehead. He but, gets he gets a four-minute entrance. No joke. Like it's a four-minute entrance. You, oh you think God. he's the Undertaker. And he uses every second of it to perfection. When he dude, whenever he hits the uh uh like so not not when he enters the crowd, but when he go down the stairs and stands on the balcony as the chorus hits. Mm-hmm. Oh, just just play that at my funeral. <laughs> I thought it was also really funny because there's a member of the crowd who then grabs a singing poor cane and then hits himself in the head <laughs> with it. Like, like ECW fans are absolutely nuts. I have yeah. no doubt that we would have been there back in the day. However, oh, we would have absolutely been nuts. ECW fans. We, we would have been ECW fans. Do you ever just stop and wonder what Sandman's doing today? Uh, Actually, no, but I can probably find out. Yeah, I have no idea what a guy like that who – at least on screen, was an absolute psychopath. I feel like that's... Oh, God. It, it looks like he's... he's not, he better not still be wrestling. Is he still wrestling? Hold on. Let's find out. He better not be. That, that poor man. Like, holy... If that dude's still wrestling, like... He, uh, is, he, he wrestled... He wrestled in 2018. Hot damn. Yeah, he wrestled Silas Young in Ring of Honor. Uh, they should have brought him back as a labor of Jericho. He... Oh, God. Instead of Nick Gage. Um, in 2019, he was working with Killer Cross. Huh. So Carrion Cross. Oh, and uh, TNA. And Eddie Edwards. That's interesting. So, I feel like he fits yeah. in there pretty well, though. Anyway, moving on. The match itself barely could not get started without a lot of ECW chicanery. If you know ECW, and I think at this point we do, because three is now a pattern. Their last match or their last segment is always every guy in the back rushing the ring and doing some nonsense and some crazy stuff. No New Jack also on this show? That's another guy that was missing, R.I.P. New Jack? Oh, yeah, he wasn't missing. Oh, that's a, that's another crazy guy. Yeah, another nut job. But, you know, nut job in the fun way, at least for entertainment yeah. purposes. Blue World Order comes out. Now, I don't know the any of the names. I know Stevie Richards is out there. I know Blue Meanie. I don't know the third guy. But Blue World Order comes out. Stevie Richards starts getting on the promo, and they start beating up Dreamer and Sandman. Dudley boys get in on it as well. Kid Cash runs out out of nowhere for no reason, and he gets thrown out of the ring. Fold up, you get Axel Ryan and Balls Mahoney coming out with their oh. steel chairs and making a save. Uh, Cash then does a suicide dive out into the entire group, off of the referee's back, onto the top rope, and into the crowd. It's just an insane spot. I never realized Kid Cash was that kind of guy, but holy smokes, that was a yeah, that was a spot. The match finally starts. Bubba Cheese Great Streamer, yes, you heard that right. They start the match off with a cheese grater. Cheese grates Tommy Dreamer's forehead and then covers himself in the blood. Salmon and Dreamer then utilize a ladder on the Dudleys with Dreamer putting the ladder over his head and doing the helicopter spin. Always a fun spot to see. Dreamer then pays back Bubba with the cheese grater. Bubba then follows it up by atomic dropping Dreamer onto the guardrail. Sandman then hits a rolling rock on a ladder on Devon, then eats a chair shot from Bubba. Bubba then does a frog splash on Sandman on the ladder he just used. Then Dreamer comes back in the ring. They get stereo figure fours onto both the Dudley boys before Lance Storm and Just Incredible come back out, saving the Dudley boys. You also see Francine come out 
Beulah comes in to make the save on Francine. They start having a scrum. They get thrown out. Devon then gets a steel chair ball shot from a street sign. Then Bubba, after that, comes in swinging the Singapore cane. Sandman then gets powerbombed through a table. Dudley's then hit a 3D on Dreamer. Spike Dudley follow. Then Spike Dudley comes out. Yes. All these people have come out throughout this match. Yes. <laughs> Finally, Spike Dudley comes out. He has lighter fluid. They douse another table in the lighter fluid. They power. They light it on fire. They power bomb Dreamer through it. One, two, three. The Dudleys win. But wait. Sandman comes back after saving Dreamer from a beatdown, asking for a beer. And then you have Stone Cold's music come out. Stone Cold Steve Austin wearing a Las Vegas Outlaws jersey. <laughs> I'm so glad that he had on an XFL jersey. I'm sure. In David, 2005. Oh, my God. I'm sure David would have lost his mind to that. And you could tell it's old, too, because the number is faded. Yeah. my Listen, my brother owns a DC Defender shirt. I, I actually I own Birmingham Iron Gear. I mean, it's not XFL. Zero, it? Yeah. I got a nice long sleeve shirt. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, he invite, uh, Stone Cold then invites the locker room to have a beer and then tries to bait WWE into a fight, which they oblige to after running them all down. They get in the ring. There's a huge showdown between the rosters. And then suddenly, if you're wondering why he wasn't on commentary, this is why Taz. Taz comes out looking like his OG self. Has oh, a towel on his head. Man, is that guy just so freaking cool. He stares down Kurt Angle. Him and Kurt Angle go at it. Then the rosters start fighting with each other. ECW then stands tall after Taz puts Angle in the Taz mission. Austin gets Mick Foley, who has been doing commentary this entire time, to bring down Bischoff, who has now joined them on commentary, to the ring, where Bischoff eats a 3D, eats a flying headbutt, eats a 619, gets interviewed by Austin, where he says, fuck ECW, and then gets stunned. Let's drink some goddamn beer. <laughs> go home baby yeah um like i don't i don't really know what to talk about because it's so much there was like like there was a match in there like there was a full-blown wrestling match that you just talked about but we didn't really talk about it because there was just a bunch of other stuff and like the match just kind of played the hits once again they were like we're just gonna get in we'll do the you know the, the flying ladder spot the terry funk ladder spot um We'll do the, the helicopter ladder. Uh, somebody will go through the table. Devon will get the table, stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and we'll get out. And, I'm disappointed uh, with the fans. I didn't hear get the tables. I didn't. I wanted to see my balls. And, like, I, yeah. didn't, I, I didn't. we didn't get that. We didn't get those. Taz! Yeah! What? My balls! I know, I saw. I know, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't on this show, but I just love that spot. Um, I don't, like, I don't know. It's just... This is kind of the part that made me be like, oh, this is just a cool-ass house show. Because this is the type of shit, like, Sandman drinking a beer with Stone Cold. Oh, my God. That's, that's, that's some fan service. That's something like... Absolutely. People, absolutely. That, that's like fantasy booking stuff. And that's not to say it was bad. It's just you didn't go into this, you know, expect... Like, was there wasn't a single title defended, was there? No. No title whatsoever. Exactly. So that's that right there tells you, like... This this could have literally been like Sunday night heat. Oh yeah. Like you know what I mean? But like I think they, they did it well. They they knew what to do. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. As opposed to like the shows in Saudi Arabia which are also done for nostalgia purposes. This was nostalgia that was done well. Like this is like right. this is a show by the wrestlers 
for the wrestlers, booked in the way that it was booked back then. Yep. And it didn't it did not feel corny. It felt very genuine. And I think that R V D in the middle helped sell it because he's he brought this idea to Vince McMahon of doing an ECW memorial show and it went off as well as it could have. The last match is like consummate ECW. It's kind of the reason why sometimes I really don't enjoy this stuff is because it can get really messy. The stuff yes. that they tell in the ring is not messy. It's very messy. It's hard to follow at times. But I'll say this, and I do appreciate it. When it comes to like the locker room and the experience, like you can have all these feuds. You can have these storylines and people that hate each other. But I think the way that ECW treats their talent and the way that talent kind of always acts first and foremost is they act like a locker room united. Like you're going to work with people you don't like anyway, but at the end of the day, you still work for that company and they have pride in that company. Whereas like with WWE, the way people interact there is just so scripted. Whereas with ECW, even though like, for example, the Raven and Tommy Dreamer storyline that they, that was like a huge feud for them. They interacted like any normal people would. Like the entire yeah. rivalry was based on like real real interactions that people could have as opposed to this is a story we are telling and these two are going to interact this way because of this. Like think of like Matt Riddle and Randy Orton interacting with the New Day backstage. It's a fun interaction. Like it's really fun like with Kofi saying, hey, he's going to turn your back on you. Riddle acting like an idiot. But you could also tell it feels extremely forced. Yeah. There's never anything forced with ECW. No, it, it always seemed legit, which is uh, which is a big contributor into why I like why I like ECW, uh, but I don't love it because, like you just said, some of their stuff gets just so messy, man. Like you it's just hard to follow at points. It is. It is. Like because you kind of like can isolate ECW as being real. Like EC and it's kinda like what AEW has started to do or has, has done their runtime, is that with AEW, it always kind of felt like, like it feels unique. It's their brand. Like they are building yeah. on themselves. WWE, it's all about branding. So WWE is going to push what they think is the right thing to do. It's not going to be so much the talent. It's going to be what they think. New Japan, right. it's about the story in the match itself. Like I, I, they have some good promos. For those that understand Japanese, I do not. But I've heard the promos are pretty good, but they're, they are authentic. But it's mostly about the in-ring product in New Japan. So, like, you have these unique feelings. And ECW definitely does feel unique here. And it's good nostalgia. It's actually really good nostalgia. It's not just done for, hey, we're going to make a cheap buck. This is done being, hey, this will be fun to do. Yep. Which is something Absolutely. that never gets done in WWE anymore. Because we love the Riddle storyline, the RK bro, and they rip it away from us. Still heard about that. Very hurt. I can tell. I can tell you, everybody. But that will do it for ECW One Night Stand. Again, I think calling it a house, it's an over glorified house show, but it's done very well. Very fun show to watch if you haven't watched it yet. Jake, I'll let you lead off. Two and a half marks. Who you got? All right. So I am giving my, uh, I'm going to give my half mark. It's actually, it's a, it's an ironic negative half mark. Uh, it's going to go to, just ECW wrestlers' treatments of their own bodies. <laughs> I'm always very concerned, and I think I, I think when we did this for one of the other shows, I gave this to Sabu or something like that, like for his treatment of his body. But just like Sandman walks out and just like breaks a beer can over his face and cuts himself open, 
they're cheese grating people's faces. Like I understand you're doing insane. it for the fans. Yeah, like I know you're doing it for the fans, but like, do you really have to? I don't know. It took. I was just. It's always so extreme. It took Dreamer five minutes to have a true crimson mask. Like the guy's yeah. face was entirely red when he goes to hug Beulah. Sandman hadn't made it to ringside and he was bleeding. <laughs> Like, that, that is true. That is truly impressive. Uh, I'm going to give my positive half mark to Paul Heyman insults because nothing hurts quite like a Paul Heyman insult because he gets you where it hurts. Like, you know, tr- JBL can act like that he wasn't hurt by that comment, but that was that was some that real was, shit. That like, was a zinger. That was some real shit. Um and that, it makes me think of when he was, like, cutting a promo with Brock a couple years ago and, like, some dude was proposing, like, in the middle of it. And Paul Heyman said something like, you better watch out because the beast incarnate will take your wife or something like that. <laughs> and I was, like, all of his insults just seem are so on the nose. They're always so good. Paul Heyman promos. I asked you guys in the group chat. uh and I'd like to know what the listener thoughts too. You know, where does Heyman rank all-time promos for you? We all uh, we all kind of agree he's uh, top. Uh, he's like second tier, but I have him at the top of my second tier. He's, he's like the gateway. You have to be better than Paul Heyman to be the top tier. Yes, I agree because I think that Paul Heyman. I'm not sure there's a guy. There's another like manager I would want having pro- cut promos for me than Paul Heyman. Yeah, I think Paul yeah. Heyman maximizes both putting you over and how the crowd see you. Like he's always in touch with the crowd, right? Which is not something that gets done because a lot of times you get handed a script, you read the script, and that's it. Paul Heyman just yep. is like, okay, the crowd's acting like this. This is what I'm going to say. Oh, the crowd's going to say this about this guy. This is what I'm going to say, and he does that very well. I think the like one of the, the only guy I can really think of. That like two guys. I would I say I say Cena, just because Cena kind of has its self awareness to yeah. be aware of what the fans are saying. And like 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 past past seven years, Cena. Not necessarily like oh eight Cena. No, but he's a guy that's self aware, and he does come through in his promos. Like there hasn't been a Cena promo in the past seven years where I'm like, yeah, that's him just cutting the scripted stuff. That like right. it's be genuine. Edge nowadays could cut a really good promo. CM Punk back in the day. Still a good promo. Like, these are yep. guys that are just, whenever you're authentic, those guys are always feeling that they're themselves. Like, they're not being scripted. Yeah. The guy Absolutely. And, and uh, Heyman never put it. But Heyman, I think Heyman's biggest detraction is that he can't cut different types of promos no. very well. It's the same, it's, yeah. it's the same diction. Yes, he has, he has Heyman's promo style, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like there's no there's no variance. It's not like like I, I've always thought that CM Punk CM Punk to me is a, is a top five promo ever, and I'm, I'll be honest because he could cut whatever. He could be fiery. He could be vindictive. He could also just be funny. He could do whatever you want, and I think that's what separates the great from the legendary. Same, like same thing with Kofi nowadays. Like I would say Kofi's one of the better promos in today's WWE because. He's always authentic for the most part. Like there's never been a yeah. part where Kofi feels like he's reading a script. I mentioned this a few weeks ago where he was interacting with AJ Styles during like a tag team tournament or whatever. And Styles sounds scripted. He starts writing down people like a script. 
And then Kofi starts speaking. And Kofi starts speaking from the heart and speaking, like, true facts. And then it finally snaps Styles out of the script. And as Styles start speaking like Styles. Like, Styles promos, yeah. when he was the face that ran the place, were fantastic. Oh, yeah. Today's Styles promos, very produced. Absolutely. And yeah. then, and then uh, last one, sorry. Yeah, so my, uh, my negative two are going to something that I thought – I'm sure that we've talked about this before, but it's got to be said again, man. I'm actually giving a negative and a positive two marks, but they go to like the same thing. The negative is going to dubbed entrances and the positive is going to that Sandman entrance. Oh my (laughs) God, I cannot get over it. Like I've been thinking about it all day, literally all day. I've just been thinking about how he was standing on like the balcony, holding on with his kendo stick and just like, Loki bobbing his head, drinking a beer, pouring the beer into somebody else's mouth. But the dubbing, if you don't get to if you don't get to hear inner Sandman, you don't understand why the crowd is going so insane. You're like, oh, I guess the crowd just really likes Sandman. No, they were going insane because they were all literally singing the words to inner Sandman. Which is and hype. it was it's a hype phenomenal. song. Yeah, it's also one of the reasons I hate Virginia Tech. <laughs> I know. Because that, that year that we lost to them a couple years ago, and they just kept playing that song in the stadium, oh, I hated that. I, Virginia Tech was one of those schools I had applied to back in high school. Fantastic engineering. It's a great campus. We have a friend there right now. But, yeah, Virginia Tech in terms of football, no, go away. It's a good thing you were going there for engineering, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, life changes. I, uh, I, you could argue that I'm still not using my degree. Who cares? <laughs> You're making, are, are you being a productive member of society? Heck yeah, I am. All righty then. That's well, guess what? Be, be productive and give us your two and a half marks. Hey, good segue. My negative half mark, it's going to copious amounts of unprotected chair, sh- head sh- chair headshots. <laughs> oh God. There, was some of those. About that. <laughs> there were so many of them. Like, I prefer watching the cheese grater. I prefer watching Nick Gage and his pizza cutter. Because guess what? You could scar the body fine. You're not going to have to worry about causing a lifetime of brain damage with a pizza cutter. Physical damage, yes. Absolutely. Brain damage, not so much. Unless you start, like, really getting in there. But that's probably not going to happen. But there's just so many of these chair shots and head shots. It's kind of uncomfortable at a level. Like, it, like one every now and again is fine. Like, I thought when uh, Sean Spears hit Cody Rhodes with it, because it's been so long since anyone has saw a chair headshot, yeah. I think that's kind of fantastic. And, you know, it, that's all about the guy willing to take the spot. I know that, like, for a more recent example, when Sammy Guevara threw a chair at Matt Hardy, and yes. it was the wrong chair, it wasn't gimmicked, and so it literally – Hits Hardy in the head and busts him clean open. Oh, that was bad. And then again, again, it's even scarier to think about that one because that then Hardy sustains a concussion in a match with Guevara, and they continue the match. Too many, yeah. like you got to protect the head. Like even if it's getting the hands up, even if you think that ruins it, it's still gonna make that great sound. It's still a guy swinging a chair over someone's head. Protect the chair shots. Like head shots, I still feel like have a place in wrestling. But we're smart enough now to make it so they're not going to happen unsafely. But when you right. have as many as you do on this show, it's like, eh, kind of yeah, uncomfortable. It's, it's a very bad feeling. 
my one mark is going to the Hammerstein Ballroom. Again, it's just oh, it's yeah. got such a great look. And I feel like because it's an ECW event, they really get to, I'll quote David on this one, explore the space with Super <laughs> Crazy. Like, there's just so many insane things you could do from there. They show some of them in the uh, highlights packages where they hang a guy upside down from a balcony. You could just do a lot of crazy stuff that ECW was known for that makes ECW feel really fun. It's just a great venue. I'd love to see another pay-per-view there. Like, I feel like AEW doing something there or if you want to go, like, something NXT. Like, that could be really cool. Like, imagine NXT. Oh, that would be awesome. Well, they, they just did one. That, they just did that like Raw reunion there not too long ago, and everybody hated it because like WWE basically just forgot about it, mm-hmm. and they gave them like a Bray Wyatt Matt Hardy match, and like DX beating up the Revival, Weird. like that was all they got. Yeah, with like no screen to see what was happening at like MSG. And you mentioned seventy, and the seventy five percent of the guys you just mentioned aren't even with the company anymore. Oof. <laughs> True. <laughs> and finally. My two marks. It's going to nostalgia done. I said mostly right just because I didn't like some of the guys that I don't associate with ECW. But I'm going to say this was done right. Like it kind of felt like it was done by the fans. I really think ultimately RVD and the guys signed to WWE that had strong opinions about ECW did get a lot of voice and a lot of say in how this was booked and how it was presented. And it really made it feel like an ECW event in 2005. It didn't feel like it was just being done for cheap tricks. It didn't feel like it was just being done as a money grab. It felt truly authentically an ECW memorial show, like a show you could run back every five years, like get some of those ECW guys or present it in this kind of style. And it's still going to be pretty fun. Bring Joey Styles back. Have him do it. Like, I feel like you could be done. Have some of those old school guys. Have them kind of pass a baton. But it could be an event you do every five years and it has meaning. It's not just, hey, oh. The Saudi prince is paying us billions of dollars to put it in our show here, and he wants to see Yakuzuna. Like, let's do get just get a, Samo, uh, no, a, a sumo guy out here, and that'll be that nostalgia. No, it's like truly authentically an ECW pay-per-view being done at a time where ECW had not been a thing for like five years. Right. It's not, And then, like, I think that's even more prudent because, like, if you look at the next one-night stand or – no, like at December to December or whatever – Whenever they took the ECW name and then they were making it into the show and into pay-per-views, it's like, okay, you've now like squandered the good name of ECW. Yeah. Like, like keep it, keep doing the things that you were doing and it's fine, but you have now taken it and made a mockery of it. It no longer means what you think it means. Yeah. Cause the moment they got the TV show, it just became another WWE show. And you kind of see yeah, that. Absolutely. You see it happening today with NXT. NXT had its great uniqueness in the WWE landscape. Now that's on USA and it now needs to get eyeballs on TV. You could kind of see it getting booked more in the WWE style. and It's not doing so well. Shocker. Yeah. Imagine that. Wait, hold on. Can I say the next thing? Sure. Oh man. I've never got to say this. All right. On to our final order of business and my personal favorite part of the show. We're going to spin the randomizer and see what we get to watch for next week's show. Angela, would you please do the honor? Sure thing. But before I do or while I do, Jake, was it that you want to watch? Oh, man. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I mean, I, I enjoyed this. So I would love to just keep it going with good things. 
I kind of want to go 80s. Like, I f- we haven't been in the 80s for a while. Mm-hmm. And while it is a different we style, haven't. it is a little bit slower. It's always kind of fun to watch, especially with the passing of Shoot. He was part of the uh, Midnight Express. I'm already forgetting his name. Bobby Eaton. Bobby Eaton. Beautiful Bobby Eaton. Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was Bobby Oh, Eaton. wait. Are we butchering this right now? No, it's Bobby Eaton. No, I know for a fact. Now. Beautiful Bobby. Because I was on. Yeah, the- that's what I thought. Yeah, I thought that's what it was. It is. I just forgot. I was like, he, I, he's the partner of Stan Lane. Shoot, what's his name? Because uh, Mass Man did a great segment about him. And the guy was like, he's so damn fun to watch. Like, I, whenever we've got an 80s pay-per-view, he's always enjoyable to watch. Unfortunately, though, we will not be going to the 80s. We are instead staying in the mid-2000s. We are going to be going to No Mercy 2008. And all you need to know about No Mercy 2008 is that the first match is Matt Hardy versus Mark Henry for the ECW World Championship. Oh, I bet that's a banger. (laughs) God. I literally looked this up, and that was the first match. I'm like, wait, Matt Hardy wins this match against Mark Henry. What what the heck is going on? (laughs) I'm I'm not going to say anything else about this match. I'm just going to let that be every or this card. I'm going to let that be everything I know about it going. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for the Two and a Half Marks podcast. Jake, I mean... We definitely ran a little bit shorter than we normally do. We definitely not that much, I don't think. How, how long do you think we've been going? Uh, I'm going to say we went like a solid hour ten, hour fifteen. You're you're in the ballpark, right? About an hour twenty five uh, before edits. I was that, that that's before you cut my headphones being jerks to me out of this. So, but yeah, no, uh, David, when you listen to this. I appreciate how much work you do to do these match uh, summaries because, man, they are hard to do and they are hard to get out. But I, I again, next week I will. Next week I'm not going to be on. So again, we're going to have another two man booth. Uh, it will be David hey, and Jake. Hey, David, if you actually listen to this and make it all the way through, um, I just want you to know that I love you. And if you don't, and if you don't say "I love you too" to me, I'm gonna know you didn't listen to it all the way through. And we miss you. We miss you very much, David. <laughs> it's been too. I didn't long. say I missed him. You can love somebody and not miss them. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll do it. No Mercy 2008 will be our next episode with just Jake and David, and then we will have episode 60 following that. So thank you for everyone for listening. Stay tuned. We have some great content coming out, and we will talk to you all later.